Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 36 of Spiritist Conversations, a show where we sit down with friends to talk about the world through a spiritist lens in an informal, unplugged, and unscripted way. I am Dan Assisi, and I am very excited to be joined by my friends Susanna Simões and Flavio Zanetti here today. How are you guys doing? Hey, guys. Nice hello, to see hello. you again. Hello, everybody. Hello, hello, Dan, Sue. It's great to be here. Great to see you guys both. Did you say 36, Dan? Uh, episode 36. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, this, this is also year six. This is the sixth year that we're doing this. So um, I still have very fond memories. I think it was in Georgia. You guys don't remember this, but I accosted you when I showed up with a microphone and say, what if we just record this conversation? So um, lovely awesome. journey. Ex excited to be here with you and kickstart this new year. Yeah, we our relationship is lasting. <laughs> <laughs> so far, so, so far, so far. No one jinx it. <laughs> also, yeah. very excited that all of us got the memo today somehow and dressed in black. So, you know, this is just kind of how we roll these days. We seem to be in the same wavelength, even though we're in different parts of the country. So excited to jump in with you guys. Let's do this. Who do we have with us today? Ah, and our special guest for today's episode is our friend Charles Kemp. Kemp and he is a researcher, a speaker, and just a friend of Spiritist Conversations. Uh, he's joining us directly from France. Welcome back, Charles. Thanks for being on the program again. Thanks for having me. Thank you, Dan. Thank you, Susanna. Thank you, Flavio. Very happy to be here again with you, talking about Kardec, which is a subject I appreciate particularly. So, okay, let's try to transmit some of the details of who he really is, who was really Kardec, and why is he, after more than one and a half centuries, still so known and more and more known, by the way, everywhere in, on this planet right now. Uh, well said, Charles. Very well said. I think it's a great introduction. Introduction, But before we begin, I just want to remind folks that Spiritist Conversations is broadcast on multiple channels on the interwebs. Um, so if you want to join our conversation, we would love for you to find your way into our official Ch Spiritist Conversation channels because the comments you may be putting on different channels don't always make their way back to us. Uh, so if you do want to be heard, if you do want to participate, make sure that you come in and just say hello on the chat on YouTube, on Facebook, or whatever it is that you are, because um, we are really excited to, to have you here with us. Just, just a, a friendly housekeeping there. But okay, so who is this Alon Kardec guy? Who, who's this guy? Everybody's going to stay quiet today. <laughs> it's just hard to know where we start. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. But I yes, would uh, let me just say that he is the codifier, the man who put together what we call today the spiritist philosophy. How about that for an opening? That is wonderful. That is wonderful. And thanks for bringing bringing your dog as well, Sue. Uh, we he's we always around. I he's. He's part, he's part of Spiritist Conversations. So you wouldn't be a Spiritist Conversations without him. I know, I know. 
But I, uh, I'd like to say that the card deck, even though we we say card deck really compiled spiritism, right? He didn't really invent spiritism, correct? That was not something that he invented, per se. So we cannot say he was the inventor, but rather he was the one that compiled everything he studied and put together in order for us to today consume this that we call spiritism. And that in itself, it's a wonderful perspective, right, Flavio? Because I think that's something that sets spiritism a little bit apart from different ways of looking at life. Generally, you have somebody like, you know, whether it's a philosopher or a religious person who receives some sort of like special knowledge or revelation. And that person then becomes like a prophet, becomes a starter of something. But with Kardec, it, it didn't exactly happen that way. He didn't really set aside, you know, an intention to say, I'm going to start something new. He was just really looking into, into things. And as a matter of fact, Alain Kardec is not really even his real name, right? So maybe this is, we kind of punt this to Charles a little bit and say, Charles, as our resident, you know, French slash Kardec expert, what can you tell us a little bit about Kardec to start that conversation? Yeah, so let's go. He, his true name was Denisard Hippolyte Léon Rivaille. He was born in Lyon in uh, 1804. Huh? Um, and he uh, grew up, uh, was educated uh, in Switzerland by, uh, in Pestalozzi's uh, Educational Institute in Yverdon, huh, in Switzerland. And then he had a normal career, I would say, like... Uh, educator, uh, uh, he had an institution at that time, uh, giving uh, uh, for, for uh, young children and also older children. And uh, he only got aware or started some investigation about uh, spirit, uh, spiritualist or spiritist phenomenon when he was 50 years old. Huh? So it was in 1855 that he started to investigate. Huh? And the first book, uh, the Spirits book, was published uh, the uh, 18th of April, uh, 1857, which means something like 165 years ago, a little bit more now. Huh? And uh, he dedicated the rest, and, the rest of his life until uh, his uh, discarnation, which, which was 31st of March, uh, 1869. So he dedicated all that time in uh, investigating, uh, going more in depth, writing other books, uh, giving lectures, visiting centers, uh, and so on. So Alan Kardec was only, let's say, the, the last uh, 11 or 12 years of his life. Uh, the first 50 years, he was, uh, uh, how to say, uh, uh, normal life huh, in, in the area of education huh, in Paris, at least in, until 1840. And then uh, in the 1850, he had a period where it was, he, he had uh, quite some difficulties also huh, to materially got the necessity to sustain his family. And uh, he found then this uh, new way, uh, this mission started only at the final phase of his life. So as you clearly told it, uh, Flavio, uh, he, he, he was not, uh, he, he always put himself uh, 
it made very clear that the ideas in the spirits book, for instance, uh, are the ideas of the spirits who were communicating. He just made the questions, okay? And the answers he transcribed in the spirits book are the answers which were given by the spirits. So this means that the spiritist body of knowledge came uh, from the spiritual world and were absolutely not uh, his personal ideas. And even on some topics, like for instance, uh, reincarnation, he had some, he needed some time to be convinced himself, you know, the idea, the idea came very clearly from the spiritual world. And then he ended up accepting it. Why? Because it was presented in a rational, explained, logical uh, way, uh, at the, not just a statement, you must be believe or not, uh, no, with all the arguments behind it in order to, oh yes, yes this really makes sense and uh, uh, accepting it then uh, through the understanding of, uh, of the arguments. And, and that's a great point you bring, Charles, because I also think that that's the reason why the spirits also said, no, 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 you don't get to put your name on this, right? This is not, uh, don't use your, 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 your regular name because this is not your ideas. This is the spirit's idea. And therefore, mm -hmm. we want you to use uh, a name from a previous incarnation that you had so that it's not confused with whom you are today because they're doing the heavy lifting. He did have the wonderful chance of organizing that those responses in an easy to understand format. But I think right from the beginning, we get this really clear message that is the spirit's teachings, right? The first work is the spirit's book. It's not Kardec's book. It's not Reveal's book. It is exactly. the spirit's book. So it's a really different way and approach of bringing this new body of knowledge forward, right? Saying like the owner of this thing, it's not here in the physical plane. I think that's, that's very different, right? Very unusual. Exactly. I have a, a point in a curiosity that I want to bring and actually uh, see what Charles uh, has to say and for all of you as well. When it comes to the names, we mentioned here that Alon Kardec was a name that he used in a previous uh, incarnation. And uh, Charles started by saying uh, his name was Denizar Hippolyte Leon Revile, but we also find Hippolyte Leon Denizar Revile uh, written in different places, which can be a little confusing for yeah. someone who does not know. I mean, not only two names, but seems like three names. What's the story behind that? Yes, it's, it's confusing. And the second confusion on top of this is that Hippolyte, there are five or six different ways to, 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 to spell it. Huh? Mm -hmm. uh, so the Denizar Hippolyte uh, uh, Léon Rivaille is the one which is shown in his birth uh, register uh, certificate. And that should be the official one. Now we have to understand that it was in 1804. Uh, you remember that uh, French Revolution came a little bit after the US uh, Revolution. It was uh, uh, 1789, so it was only 15 years uh, later. Huh? And at that time, uh, so before it was uh, ecclesiastics, huh? the registers were held by the, the church. And after the revolution, of course, they had to be all the, the infrastructure necessary uh, with the staff also to uh, make the 
is one fat the revolution. And that is explaining why at that time the, the, the training of those people and so on was maybe not yet so optimal and that it was, let's say, uh, uh, not so formal. And uh, when we talk about Hippolyte Léon de Nizarivay, uh, which is the, 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 the most known one, this is, by the way, the one that uh, himself was using when he was writing or signing a letter or putting his name when he was married, for instance, and so on. He always put Hippolyte Léon de Nizarivay in, in this sec sequence. So it's not only his case that happened, for instance, uh, we have other cases, Alexandre Delan, his name was not Alexandre, it was a different name, but he changed and put the name Alexandre, which sometimes gave a little bit confusion because you need to have judgment of a judge mm -hmm. saying, no, it is the same person, you know, just to certify the identity. But that was simply, how to say, uh, the status at that time. Uh, today, nowadays, it's a little bit more rigorous and more complicated, <laughs> but at that time, it was a little bit more free. And then Alan Kardec, of course, uh, Rivai was quite known in France in the education. He put several contributions for the education system, not only in France, but also in Belgium or other countries. He developed a lot of the Pestalozzi method. So he had some, uh, he was known as an educator. And if he would have signed the Spirits book with uh, Rivai, one could have said that he's using the fact he's known in an area in order to promote something else. So that's one reason why he changed the name. Uh, he used a pseudonym, in fact, but uh, he never was hiding himself. Everybody was knew that uh, Alan Kardec and Rivai was the same person. And the second reason was also at the beginning, you know, when he uh, published the Spirit's book, uh, he still was working uh, had to do some jobs in order mm -hmm. to sustain his family. And two of these jobs were in uh, a Catholic uh, uh, publishing company, Pelago, uh, which was uh, from Lyon and had the succursal in Paris. And the second one, he was working for a, a newspaper, which was L'Univers, which was also Catholic. So at the end, they knew it and they somehow he lost these jobs, of course, huh, because he published the Spirit's book, but at least it gave him some buffer, uh, a, a little year uh, to find some other ways uh, to survive in his life. So that, that is probably also the second reason why he adopted this pseudonym. Yeah, and that's an interesting thing, right? Because nowadays, a lot of criticism in general in the world is, oh, somebody's trying to make money off of spirituality, right? So how is that guy cashing in on that? But for him, it was quite the opposite, right? Because he actually put a lot of whatever money he had, especially at the end of the life, into this thing. So he, it wasn't really a great a financial proposition, right? He ended up spending quite a bit of his money into, into this thing. Is that right, Charles? Correct, yes. He, he was pragmatic huh? because uh, you can give for free what you receive for free, but publishing a book is not for free. Publishing the Spiritist magazine is not for free. So you have to find a way to, to finance it. And what we knew is, uh, for instance, so he, he bought a property, which was uh, Villa Segur in Paris, huh? which today is worth uh, only one flat there is worth a million euro dollar or whatsoever. And there's something like 50 flats in that area. So you, you, you can have an idea of the value of what he had at that time. But that enabled him 
uh, to make some uh, loans. So he, he was uh, getting money, uh, something like uh, 25,000 francs uh, on his own risk, uh, giving his property as a guarantee for the loan in order to, to finance, uh, because at the beginning, only the Spirits book and the Spiritist magazine did not bring the financial equilibrium. And that was uh, always a pre uh, concern of him in order to make the thing, uh, giving the uh, sustainability to it. Uh, but uh, he was clearly, as you told uh, Dan, putting money from his own pocket uh, into the, the, the spiritism, even uh, when the thing got a, li a little bit better equilibrium, financially speaking. I think it's important to mention that publishing a book today, while difficult, right? It's not, not as costly as it was when Kardec was publishing, right? In, back in 1857. So the, the amount of money and, and, of course, the work required to publish back then was surmountable, right? And if, if we yes. compare to today, right? So way more difficult back then than it is today. Yeah, it was quite costly. Huh? The typography was letter by letter, line by line, page by page, and then uh, 30, 18 or 36 pages uh, into a big frame and printing friends, uh, verso, and then uh, uh, folding and cutting. Uh, so, and, and you had to do thousand or two thousand or three thousand at once. So it was, it's it's a little bit like uh, publishing before. The, today we have on demand. Uh, you can uh, publish one at a good price. Huh? But at that time, uh, publishing a book, it was uh, thousands and thousands of uh, French francs, huh? uh, equivalent today to, to to euro. It's a little bit what we knew. I don't remember. I don't know if you remember. The first books edited by the International Spiritist Council, for instance, huh? uh, it was a huge investment. Huh? And today, mm -hmm. it's, of course, much, much easier. But at that, uh, when you go only 20 years ago, it was much more difficult. So when you go 160 years ago, it's uh, even Absolutely. more critical. Huh? Absolutely. Yeah, and one of the things I think it's really interesting is because we're all a little bit Kardec today. Right in spiritism, because we we all end up putting our own resources into these things, right? When nobody here gets paid, um, and spiritist conversations, as you can see, is a top-notch professional production, <laughs> you know, full of uh, really really skilled professionals that really um, do this for a living. Maybe not, uh, but we are happy to to freely give that which we freely receive. Um, uh, and Charles. So one of the things, and for the group here too, one of the things that I think most interesting about Kardec, it's actually not Kardec itself, but how Kardec became Kardec, or why Kardec became Kardec. I mean, how does the, how does Reveil become Kardec, right? So how did how did he get exposed to the whole spiritual piece and decided that he was going to, you know, actually study this? Because I think that in the beginning he was not really excited about uh, all these new phenomena taking place. Yes, so so we, we are doing quite some uh, researches right now into the mesmer, mesmerism, mesmerism, and and amongst this uh, movement of uh, mesmerists, there were two trends. One of these trends was spiritualists. So these people were already around 1820, 1830, 1840, totally aware that uh, some person in the somnambulistic state could get some information and even talk with 
spirits, souls of people which were discarnated. So uh, clearly there were some clear signs and experiments uh, in that way, uh, one, two or three decades before. Huh? And then, of course, we know that 1848 was Heightsville huh, in the US, uh, the turning table and so on. So mm -hmm. uh, Hippolyte Léon de Nizarivay was uh, studying a little bit the mesmerism. Huh? And, and, and he was, when he had some questions, for instance, about health, the health system was not what it was today. Huh? So when you had a health problem, you, you went, of course, to a doctor, but also to a somnambulist uh, uh, person in order to give some, to receive some hints about what to do to, to recover your health. So he, we have some evidences that he was also sometimes asking help from uh, some novelist, uh, which was uh, called Mariette, and that was in 1840. So uh, I think since when he arrived in Paris around 1822, 1823, uh, he was uh, interested in this uh, area, uh, mesmerism, but he did not, uh, uh, how to say, engage himself personally in more efforts in it, because his task at that moment was uh, pedagogy, was education, educational system. Uh, and uh, when then this turning table came uh, at, uh, in France around the very beginning, 1850, 1849, uh, it, it got really uh, developed, but again, he was not, uh, involved in it before uh, 1854 when he heard about and 1855 when he for the first time went to uh, the house of, uh, of uh, uh, where he for the first time could see a table moving and answering to some questions and so on and since he was uh, uh, from the pestalozzi method, uh, trained to observe the phenomenon of nature and so on, he saw immediately that it was authentic, that there was no trick, no lever, no uh, rope or elastic or whatsoever. And uh, he also analyzed immediately that some of the answers which were received are totally out of the capacities and of the knowledge of the persons which were present. So that was then the trigger who made him change uh, it was not Kardec becoming Kardec, it was Rivai becoming Kardec. Yeah, but I think it's important to mention, Charles, that the turning tables was a phenomenon back then in France, or all yes. over the world for that matter. Yes, yes. People gathered to watch these tables turning in everywhere, right? There were, mm -hmm. there were you know, ads on newspapers. Folks no Netflix at the time, right? Yeah, no HBO. Right, no movies. No social media. Like, this is no radio. No. Right. Yeah, yeah, and and yeah. so it was who, uh, like the people. That? Sorry. I said, "Who needs all that when the tables are flying around?" Yeah, I yeah. know, I know. Netflix. We, we got to talk about this thing, like this thirteen table phenomena, right? Because the 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 seance, the salons were like in vogue at that time, right? So, mm -hmm. so and for, and if if you have never been, um, uh, if you had never been connected to the history of the turning tables. People would sit around in a room and sometimes they would put their hands on the table and the tables would start to move on their own. And of course, there were many calls of like, this is fake and so forth. But in other, in other uh, places, it was not. And so like the whole question of whether this is really happening or not was one that was bubbling at the time. Exactly. Yes. But, but he did not... 
the particularity of Kardec, he did not stay to the phenomenon itself. He, he did not really was making it as a joke or whatever. He immediately said, okay, it's moving. There is no doubt about that. Uh, he saw it from his own eyes uh, repeatedly uh, several times. But then he went more to the, okay, no, so what? The tables are moving. What is moving the table? Who is moving the table? Who is giving the intelligence answers that are coming through the table? And this is really, uh, he went immediately to this next step, uh, the, looking for the cause, and also looking for all the philosophical, ethical, and so on, consequences about it. And that is basically what we have in the Spirits book. So it's really the first book who came in a, not just describing facts, the table moved uh, X time or Y time, or uh, it was not just the facts, you know. He, he went much, much further uh, from the, already in the first book. And, and that is why today this book is still one of the most sold, huh? the, the Spirit's book or the Medium's book Kardec wrote. The medium's book is still today the best book about mediumship. Uh, even, even so, it is yep. more than 160 years old. And that is really, uh, when he saw the table, uh, it then came the connection because he came on Earth reincarnating already with his mission. But then uh, when the mission started, uh, this connection was made, he got aware and, and he decided to fully dedicate himself quite quickly uh, to investigate deeper uh, this phenomenon and all the consequences of it. And that is why Kardec is really uh, made these uh, five books plus the Spiritist magazine plus the smallest booklet mm -hmm. uh, in a really comprehensive way that has, okay, Chico Xavier made the more quantity of books and so on. But how to say, everything was already uh, bound and uh, still today recognized uh, there is no one today who came and said, look, this and that is not consistent. Here there is a contradiction and inconsistency uh, into what Kardec said. And, and, and we know how much science has evolved in the meantime. But science yeah. did never demonstrate that any fundamental point that were came through the spirits uh, is wrong. Huh? The, the, spirit, the spirit body of knowledge or in paradigm is still uh, solid today. Nothing has been demonstrating has been uh, false in it. And that and is that, really uh, remarkable. Yeah, it really is. And I want to double click on what you said there, Charles, because I think it's incredible, right? So what we have is we have this phenomena taking place in Paris. Tables are moving. People are beginning to ask questions of table or the tables, right? And the objects that are moving. And the tables begin to answer these questions by way of like, Go to the left if it's a yes. Go to the right if it's a no. And later they get a little bit fancier and say, knock once for A, knock twice for B, which probably took a very long time to get an answer, right? But obviously the point is, and this is where I like one of uh, Kardec's uh, phrases that really stuck with me when I first started Spiritism is, for every effect there is a cause. And every intelligent effect requires an intelligent cause so if the answers to these questions that are being asked of a table are intelligent if the, the table the table quote i'm doing air quotes right <laughs> air quotes here if the table is able to answer intelligent questions and we know that a table does not have a brain so clearly somebody is behind this so what does that mean and when we begin to realize that oh hold on a second 
there are the consciousness of the departed, so to speak, which we call spirits, are actually answering these questions. I think that's the genius of Kardec. So, so tell, tell us about the spirit world. What, is, what does it mean to, to be discarnate or without a body, right? And from there, we have this unpacking of these wonderful books that you are talking about, these five books we call the codification that changed everything, right? And that's amazing because it's a different way of thinking. Instead of just enjoying... Sorry, Siri's trying to talk to me here on my phone. All of us are yeah. could hear, you could, if you could hear her. Um, but the, the interesting thing is while everybody was looking for a, a little bit of, of fun and just kind of trying to figure out what was happening, he was diving a little bit deeper and trying to understand the consequences of, of this communication piece. Let me get um, kind of where you stop there, Dan, and just kind of check with uh, Charles. I mean, some some of the the details of this beginning, um, like Dan was talking about, that he went and he started observing and he started to investigate. And I think I read somewhere that at some point he was interested, but even you know, because he was such a busy man uh, and he had other things, he was, uh, you know, not yet 100% into it until he received 50 notebooks of communications and he was asked to organize those uh, 50 notebooks. Is this something that we have more information about? Is this something that is, you know, it's a, it's, it just seemed to me the time that I read that was actually relevant and changed a little bit of the nature of the meetings at the time from just places where people would go for for fun to like really giving the meetings a different purpose. Yeah, so this uh, the source for these 15 notebooks with questions and answers uh, does not come from Kardec himself. Huh? Okay. What comes yeah. from Kardec himself is what uh, has been compiled by Pierre Gaëtan Lemarie in the posthumous works, which were published only in 1889, so 20 years after his death. Huh? Years, it yeah. was uh, mm -hmm. 100 years of the French Revolution and so on and so on. Uh, but uh, what, what, what is sure, what Kardec is confirming is that he was going to several groups because there were some 10 or 20 groups in Paris. And since he really took the thing seriously, the groups where the people uh, were just looking to the, to the phenomenon more seriously, uh, he took over somehow naturally the, the, the control of the, of the meetings because he came with the questions already prepared and he really managed uh, the, the agenda of, of, of all the meetings. Of course, some other group uh, were continuing for curiosity, for fun, or whatsoever. And those groups he left uh, a little bit aside. But then he was known into these other groups. And then, for sure, uh, this person from the groups, they had some uh, notes, or what was it 50 or not, we don't know. They, mm -hmm. uh, when they saw that he was compiling and doing uh, deep investigations, they, for sure, gave him the, all the material they gathered even before he joined in 1855. So, but that it was 50 notebooks, this does not come I from see. Kardec himself. So mm -hmm. it's an information that we have to take, as he, let's say, more generically. It is possible that uh, uh, the, the bio, first biograph, like Henri Sauce, huh, mm -hmm. he was knowing several persons were still alive that did know Kardec very well when he was alive. Uh, 
and it was maybe some verbal uh, transmitted information. But we got a lot of documents uh, recently, uh, since 2018, something like two or three thousand documents. But unfortunately, we did not got, get these notebooks. Huh? They are still mm -hmm. missing a lot of uh, information. And let's see if, if one day we, 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 we get to them. So, but for sure, he, he took a natural leadership because of the seriousness uh, and also all the engagement he brought into these sessions. I want I wanted to um, to uh, bring something because oftentimes we talk about Kardec and obviously Kardec is the compiler of Spiritism as we know, but there were a lot of people behind the scenes also helping, namely right Amelie Gabriel Boudet, which was his wife, right, and uh, not much is talked about her. So Charles, do you have any anything that's um, that's interesting to share with us here for the folks that? Are either you know watching or listening to listening to us live or afterwards more on uh, his wife, his great partner, yes. that really motivated him to continue right uh, for the uh, Spiritist magazine and the books and all those things. Yes, so it, it really also they came. Uh, she incarnated something like eight to nine years before him, huh? so she was yeah. a little bit older than him. And uh, they married in uh, 1832. So Kardec was uh, uh, 28 years, and she was already 36 uh, years old when they married. But of course, it was a feat from the beginning. Uh, we found the first letter he wrote to her wow. after their first meeting. So it is an information that is now uh, available in. French and in Portuguese, and I think also, uh, if not yet, uh, soon in Spanish, into a website uh, which is called uh, Pro Projeto Kardec uh, from the University, uh, Federal University in Brazil of Juiz, uh, City of Juiz de Fora. And uh, they, they, it's really very well done. When you go there, you can find this letter, you can see the original, you can see the transcriptions and the translations. Hopefully, also one day in English. Huh? Uh, and, and there, when you read what he writes to her, and, and, and the second letter also, we don't have her answer, unfortunately. But we have the first letter he sent to her, and the second letter he sent to her. And uh, the, the, a letter also sent by the mother of Kardec to, the, to, to Amelie. You see that, that there was, a, how to say, a perfect fit since the beginning. Yeah. And, and we can see from all the, the, the difficulties they passed uh, as Rivai and then also as Kardec, they were also always extremely bound. So Amelie sometimes met, putting some pressure on him, but uh, always behind in order to, to, to help. And she was also fully uh, sharing uh, these uh, studies and uh, uh, giving their opinion, and we can see from the multiple letters we found now between them as Rivai uh, and also later as Kardec. Uh, because when he was traveling in 1862, for instance, uh, there is where we got all the letters. Uh, and from this, mm -hmm. we can deduce uh, all what she was doing when they were together. So, and you know, and as a public really... service announcement, Charles, we should just say for the younger people listening to us, the letters are paper text uh, text messages written on paper that people used to send to each other back in the day. <laughs> Just want a level set here for, for a younger crowd. Yeah. <laughs> okay. It's uh, 
they say the ancestor of the email. Huh? Yes. 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 And so clearly they had this very complementary relationship. And there is a discourse which was done by Gabriel Delan. Gabriel Delan, he was he knew Kardec because he was born in 1857. So I think only one month before the Spirit's book. And uh, when, uh, so Amélie survived Kardec. Uh, he died in 1869. She died in 1883. Huh? So uh, she continued the work and uh, really uh, did all what she can in order to pursue, uh, to give continuation to the work uh, of Spiritism and Kardec. Huh? And uh, when Gabriel Delan is commenting, making a, dis uh, a speech, uh, at the funeral of uh, Amélie, there is really what, what, how you can see an appreciation giving from someone who knew them, who saw them uh, together during a, a good time. It's a great and, thing that he had yeah. such a, uh, an incredible and close partner, especially given the difficulties and the challenges that he faced in his uh, life. I think that's something mm -hmm. that's kind of... Uh, uh, we're talking about, I mean, we did mention money, we, you know, play about the money, but he was accused of many different things, even, you know, making money out of spiritism amongst many other things. So having that person next to him was certainly comforting, given the level of struggles that he encountered doing his work. Yes, exactly. And great because great points too. And, and, and Charles, I'm going to piggyback on Susanna's here because at some point it looks like Reveal, right, actually has some fame as an educator. He had a couple of books published, I think, in, in, in French grammar that was used throughout the country. So his professional life, he was actually, you know, later on very well established and, and somewhat known. So uh, it's interesting that he kind of worked backwards, right? He 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 actually was known in his professional life, and at the beginning, not known in the spiritual piece, and then he kind of, kind of both of them kind of went forward. But it must have been really hard to have those, those uh, those comments that are not always nice, right? That I think everybody that goes through some sort of spiritual transformation has to endure uh, the criticism of people. So we went in the archive in Paris and uh, went a little bit more uh, looking about this financial situation of uh, Rivail. Huh? And uh, really what we find out is uh, they always had uh, financial difficulties as Rivail. Huh? It was quite difficult for them. Uh, this big institute, uh, which was working Rue de Sèvres huh, in Paris, had to close because uh, his mother was uh, discarnated already. Huh? She, she discarnated in 1832, just after the marriage. The father disappeared when he was three years old in 1807. So he, he was sustaining also his mother and his uncle. And the uncle was gambling in the casinos here and there, lost a lot of money. And that was, uh, uh, the, he was obliged to sell his institute to another guy in order to pay the debt uh, and whatsoever. So ju just for you to, to see, Th the money he, get, he got for buying the Villa Segur was for the, from the inheritance of the father and the mother of family. And there they mm -hmm. got something like, I don't know, 10 or 20,000 or 30,000 francs, which was not so much. 
that enabled him to buy this property for 10,000 francs. All this we found now. We have the papers. We have uh, uh, we, we found all, all this uh, showing that and at the end, uh, uh, this uh, Villa Segur that he bought gave him the, 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 the solidity in order to uh, enable banking uh, the, the first step of the codification from his own pocket. And the reality was this, and this we have no all the evidences about this. And I also read Charles that Villa Segur was going to be something that he left afterwards for, for uh, he wanted to build a community for spiritists who, who yes. did not have retirement and could, and so that they they didn't become destitutes yes. or, or homeless, basically, right? Exactly. So uh, all the belongings of Kardec went to Amelie, of course, huh, when he died. And all the belonging of family uh, uh, went to the uh, society for the continuation of the works uh, of uh, Alan Kardec. So all all what they had because they did not have uh, children in the heritors. Uh, so they gave everything for the development of the spiritist even after their death. So the problem is that I have to say at that time it was not so easy. And some distant parent from Amelie came and made a trial and got uh, the money back, which uh, made the bankruptcy of that uh, society uh, at the end, already at the end of the 19th, uh, 18th, 19th century. Sorry. Yeah, so we know. also have the evidences about this now. Uh -huh. For those who are reading Portuguese, yeah. uh, you can find a lot of information in a book which was published recently. Huh? From Carlos said Bastos, we are currently translating into French, yeah. and here you find a lot, a lot, a lot of uh, information, not only about these cases which happened after uh, Kardec, but also about who were uh, this uh, plain maison, Mr. Baudin, Mr. Carlotti, and so on. So uh, a lot of researches have been made. Now we know exactly who this person were at, at that time. And I think that is, I think that's, that's wonderful and very in line with spiritist teachings, right? At the end of the day, the resources, financial resources, physical resources don't really matter as much, but he did leave us with an incredible legacy, right? Of knowledge that he helped organize. And when I go back a little bit um, to that, Charles, because we know that Reveal you know, started to do the research and he went to different groups. And I want to go back to that really quickly because I think it has a lot to do with spiritism. So Kardec then comes up with these message, with these questions, and he's basically going around to different groups asking these questions and sometimes repeating them in different groups mm -hmm. just to try them out, right? Yes, it's yes. in a very scientifically minded mindset of saying, I'm going to ask this here in this group. I'm going to ask this again on that group and see how the answers jive or if they don't jive. And from there, I'm going to start, um, you know, figuring out whether they are really true or not. Can you talk to us a little bit about, about these experiences that he had? Yes. Yeah, so, so he, he, he saw immediately that uh, all the spirits which are communicating are not always right. Okay, you can, as in the humanity, yes, in the spirits are just uh, uh, the, the, the humans uh, after the death. Huh? Uh, some, uh, even with the best goodwill, will say you something which is completely false. Okay, so he, he saw that immediately in, uh, in the, that the answers from the spirit were not always consistent between themselves. So 
there are two criteria he used to overcome these difficulties. The first criteria is to analyze everything with our intelligence, common sense, uh, reasoning, what makes sense, what is consistent, what is not consistent. Huh? So the analysis of us human uh, that he, he, he was doing at that moment. And the second criteria he made was what he called the universality of the teaching of the spirits. So the more you get spontaneously from different sources, different medium, different countries even, huh? second edition of the spirits book, he got already a lot of feedback from Europe and even Americas and wherever, huh? uh, consolidating then the teachings themselves. Huh? Uh, because if you are one group with one medium and you don't have this uh, universal control. Huh? And that was a criteria he applied from the beginning uh, in order to, 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 to reach this uh, solidity, this consistency of the teachings. So I, I, I love the way you say this, uh, Charles, because I mean, Kardec is, is like a genius, right? In my, in, my, I, in, my, my, in my understanding, right? Because he was able to get thousands and thousands of messages, yes. to put them together, to compare them, to build on them, and to really select or filter those that really made sense they were talking about the same things from different mediums that do not know each other, right? Yes. However, the point I'm right, I, I want to make is, even though today, people still, right? When we talk about, oh, we should study Kardec, we should know more about Kardec, right? Oh, it's too difficult. It's too complicated. I'm just going to read something else. I'm just going to go somewhere else, right? So what's the importance of, for those folks that perhaps may be listening to us that are not spiritists, right? What's the important for us to start from the beginning? Can you maybe talk a little bit about that? Uh, to be frank with you, uh, Flavio, uh, uh, I think that uh, this methodology and this rig rigorous way that Kardec was working, I did not see it a lot of times repeated uh, since that time. Huh? There were, of course, some very important uh, like Herculano this like uh, even Gabriel Delan, Leon Denis, some strong uh, followers, of course, but they, with all the respect I have for them, they did not reach the level of Kardec. He really reincarnated with, how to say, uh, big brains. The big brains. <laughs> He, he, he was programmed to do these works, huh? uh, trained uh, into several past lives and so on. Uh, so so he, it's really for this, you see, we, we talk about Delan, we talk about Denis, we talk about Herculanopides, even Chico Xavier, whoever. But uh, Kardec is really do, uh, making the, uh, how to say, is unanimous, unanimously recognized uh, within the spiritist uh, movement. Huh? And it is of, not by chance. It's really because he had these skills, these faculties. He set up this methodology. Huh? Uh, when, you, when you look uh, some professors of uh, epistemology or scientific methodology, you, you, they are really amazed because a lot of the principles he used in 1857 huh, for the Spirit's book got only conceptualized later on, even in the 20th century. And he was clearly anticipating 50 years ahead, more than 50 years ahead, uh, some principles which got, let's say, 
consolidated into the science of the science only much later. And, and of course, it, it was himself, his qualities, but also was the help of the spirits which were assisting him. So it was really something amazing who happened at that time. And again, I repeat, uh, science today, none of the basic principle of spiritism has been demonstrated as being false by the science after 160 years. So it's really amazing to see how something like this can happen. 100%. It is. It, it, and that's a great point. I often say that the spirits book and that kind of thinking was um, was a idea ahead of its time, but not yes. before its time. Right. Yes. Because it came at the right time of our history where we were being mindful and being thoughtful about scientific method and, you know, replicability and how to do something that's very coherent. And that's just a fascinating and incredible piece this whole legacy of Kardec that goes well beyond just the books. Um, you know, here's, we have a guy who's incredibly well-prepared as an educator, uh, well-rounded scientist in general, uh, who, you know, had a fantastic support from his wife, who's no slouch either, right? Amelie was also quite brilliant herself, who was able to gather a number of folks to look credibly and, uh, skeptically into these phenomena that were taking place and, and come up with this body of knowledge that we now call spiritism that started with the spirits book officially in 1857. That, and that's really incredible. And we could talk about this for, for many hours, but I know that we're reaching to the end of the time, but I wanted to call us out here and say, you know, as we begin to wrap up, what is one thing that really stick or stuck with you about Kardec and this whole beginning of spiritism that you think is still very impactful in today's uh, world. And we can kind of do a whip around and have everybody kind of chime in here, but does anybody want to lean in and just kind of share with us what they think is uh, it's really noteworthy and as a good takeaway for us to kind of keep in mind. Susanna, go ahead, please. Oh, I'll go. Um... <clears throat> I just, uh, I think I just want to say that, like you said, then we could probably spend like eight hours here live if we want to really go deep into a life that is so incredibly rich. Um, I think I just kept thinking, you know, whoever is listening to us, will that person get that taste of how special, how unique this man uh, is and his mission. And so what I'm always um, considering in my mind is every time we bring a new idea or concepts that are challenging, we face hard opposition. It's part of the process of evolution. Uh, new ideas will face a lot of um, struggles um, he had enemies. Uh, we see some of the dialogues in books like What is Spiritism, very in intelligent people questioning the teachings. So he was a brilliant mind and a man who really um, dealt with a number of obstacles, who devoted, he was prepared up to 50 years old, to uh, you know, develop all the resources to undertake the task. But nevertheless, he was told and indeed was a huge task. 
a huge task that calls for a huge man, not only in terms of intelligence, but in terms of relating and dealing with kindness and with humbleness, not only with his fans, but especially with his enemies, giving them the respect. And he was well known for knowing how to dialogue and how to navigate this world, which is, you know, with all the, the, the disparities, with all the contradictions, with all the, the questioning, which is something that we today uh, struggle so much to do. So I think that he was uh, pretty huge, has my incredible admiration, especially when it comes to that, someone who is starting, launching something that really revolutionized <laughs> the world with, with the understanding of life, what life is, and all the implications that comes with the revelation that came to the spirits. Yeah, I, I, thank you, Susanna. This is this is great. This is brilliant. Uh, um, what I'd like to add is why it's really important for us to continue studying Kardec. There's there's spent a whole life studying the works of this you know amazing individual, but I want to say that. While Spiritism started with Kardec, it did not end with Kardec. Like this is an important you know, point. He gave us all the tools, all the resources to kick off this new thing that we call body of knowledge, this new philosophy, this new idea, this transformational uh, 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 concept that changes our lives. And luckily, other authors, other folks are coming at the tail end to contribute, to corroborate what he said, and to add additional ideas, right? I think it's important for us to, to mention that. Obviously, right, we're going to stick with the foundation which Kardec brought us, but as a house is being built, right, the foundation, then you can build the house on top of it, right? How tall or how wide you build the house will be up to us, right, to go after, to study, to get knowledge, and really gain, gain more through other authors as well. And before we we go to Charles for some final comments here too, uh, and we're really grateful that you're with us here today, Charles. Thanks for being here. I just want to highlight that as well. I think that what's really amazing about Kardec's world, work and his legacy is that spiritism is, is really not about the content. It's really about the method, right? Because this method of inquiry, this method, method of asking questions, of looking to the outside world and try to make sense of things and learning for ourselves and checking different sources. It's something that keeps on giving. If we were to lose all those books that Kardec published today, but retain his mindset, we could get all of them back. Right. And I think that's a one powerful message that sticks with me that spiritism does to us. And that has done to my life is ask these questions, try and see if there is this universal control, if this, if, if this truth shows up in different places, and then bring it back to us and say, how, how will I behave differently now that I know that I'm an immortal spirit? How does that change my behavior? How does that change my day to day? So I absolutely love the example that Kardec gave us, and I'm still very much in awe of his ability to communicate some topics that are so complex, so clearly and so simply which is typically, uh, you know, um, the mark of a great educator. So that's really just really nice of him. Um, so 
thanks for sharing uh, things with us, Charles. So tell us, Charles, what is what is one big takeaway um, after all your research uh, about Kardec that you, it still strikes you as something incredible? Yeah. So I thank you for uh, the statements. I fully share uh, what uh, Suzanne, uh, uh, Flavio, and you done uh, just said. Huh? It's it's uh, true. Uh, what could I add? I think when 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 we look a little bit what Kardec has done, huh? he he came in a, at the right time huh? when uh, after the French Revolution, amongst others, huh? where there was some liberty of expression also some a little bit more independence towards the official religions huh? uh, and and uh, also some other uh, scientists huh, like Descartes uh, like uh, Auguste Comte with the positivism huh, de developing the methodology of science itself and and what did Kardec do in all that ambient huh? he was seeing turning tables huh? uh, very simple phenomenon and he saw immediately that there is something uh, extremely uh, deep behind. And he had the lucidity uh, because science and religion were fighting once against the other. Uh, uh, what did Carl? Still, uh, still are. Still are. Still today. are. Yeah. He took the science and talked, okay, what is good in science? The methodology. Uh, the, uh, the, the, the investigation, experiments, and so on. But then he removed a, a lot of uh, things which in science are not so good, like atheism, materialism, or some <coughs> sometimes a little bit pride, change resistance, as uh, Susanne Welp uh, uh, taught. He also took looked at the religions okay what is good in the religion at the beginning of the gospel he explains this very clearly is the, the moral teachings uh, love one another do unto the other what you would like to do unto you all these uh, moral uh, laws which are universal that you can find in any religion in the world but then he removed also what is not so good in the religion like uh, the uh, hierarchical sacerdoty, uh, hierarchy, uh, the exclusivism, my religion is the best, and uh, out of my religion there is no salvation, all these things, all the dogmas, rituals, all these things, he shifted away. And by taking the best of the two which were enemies, he sought something out of the box and made something new, a new concept, which is called spiritism. And that is why, until today, even the scientists uh, studying uh, this type of subject, they have difficulties in to categorize spiritism, even within the spiritist movement. These people are telling you spiritism is a science. No, it's a religion. No, it's a philosophy. Uh, it's not a religion in the sense of the dogmas, uh, exclusivism, and so on. It's not a science in the sense of uh, pride, uh, materialism, and atheism. It, it is also not a philosophy in the, the, for the type of philosophy which are negative or even influenced also by materialism. It is simply something new out of the box. It is really a disruption, huh? this modern uh, wording that we are using today, that he brought 150 years ago, and that is still not yet today fully understood 
neither by science nor by the spiritists themselves sometimes did not understand that. And that was really something brilliant. And I like what you said, Dan, uh, spiritism came uh, before its time, but at his, its time. And uh, the, the, the evidence of it, what is it? When you look in France, the spirit's book still sell, you have 10 different uh, publishers and it's selling several thousands uh, of exemplars uh, still today. I go sometimes and put, you know, we have this book box in the street. I don't know if you have the same in US. I put the spirit's book there. I come the next day. It's not there anymore. Huh? It's, mm -hmm. uh, I put again, 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 again. And uh, still 150 years ago, you have so many people looking. And we put it also for free in, in, in electronically. Uh, reading, trying to understand uh, this uh, revolutionary concept that he brought. And that is not for, uh, it's really the thing which I think uh, we still need a little bit of time to understand this fully. Absolutely. Uh, Charles, before we close and I pass it back to Dan, I just want to um, acknowledge the work that you were doing. I know with other folks, uh, <laughs> the research work uh, on Kardec's life, it's much appreciated. So our gratitude because it's, uh, it's, it's precious and it's priceless. So I just want to make sure that I say that to you and just wonder if people want to get in touch with you or they want to know a little bit more about that research or what's going on currently, what is the best way to find out? Oh. Uh, I, I think one, one good uh, is a website I just mentioned, uh, uh, Project Kardec at the University of Juiz de Fora. In French, uh, the French Spiritist Movement, uh, we also organized since more than 20 years now what we call the Encyclopédie Spirit, uh, Spiritist Encyclopedia. So we put all the information we have available uh, into this encyclopedia. Uh, of course, there are some books. So uh, we wrote a new biography in French. Uh, we contributed a lot to this uh, new and, and, and quite some extensive biographies uh, in, uh, in Portuguese. Uh, because uh, how to, say, to bring uh, the, the more complete information, because now with the digitalization of the archives, with all these uh, thousands of original documents we found, uh, we, we are really uh, also changing, huh? it's uh, how to say a, a quantum jump into the information and the primary sources that we got from Kardec. And of course, all this is done completely. Uh, I mean, the rights of this book is going only to the institution, huh? which is a, a, a cultural center, Eduardo Carvalho Monteiro. I don't know if someone of you knew Eduardo Carvalho Monteiro. I was so happy to, to, to meet him in Paris in 2004 when uh, we had the, the Congress. And this ideal of making these researches, putting it available for free to, to everyone who is interested in, is uh, what we are still continuing and seeking. And uh, I thank you, uh, Suzanne, for uh, your appreciation. And a lot of people getting also the same feedback, uh, admiring the work we are doing uh, in a total disinterested way. That's awesome. Yep. So thank you, Charles. Thank you, Flavio. Thank you, Susanna, for being here. It's great to be in this journey with you for our sixth year together. 
Um, I just want to thank everybody who is watching or listening as well to Spiritist Conversations, which is a production of the Spiritist Institute. If you enjoy today's conversation, please share that with a friend. He helps us get the word out and uh, folks find some great content that we think uh, is being produced here. And to revisit past episodes, you can go to YouTube, you can go to Facebook. You can also subscribe at your favorite podcast platform and not miss one single episode. We are thrilled to be here with you today, and we look forward to seeing you in our next conversation in a couple of weeks, where we're going to talk about healing in Spiritist Passes. So thanks for being here, and have a great night, everyone. Thank you, everyone. Thank you so much. Thank you, everyone. Take care. Thanks.